Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. I don't know if they were just famous for their looks or, I mean, some of them were talented too, of course, but the overarching picture of beauty at that time and popularity, that was another thing, was just skinny. Nobody talks about the aftermath of competing or the fact that, yeah, on that day, you are probably your unhealthiest version, especially as a female. We're not meant to be that level of lean. Hey everyone, Meredith here, and this is the Afternoon Snack Podcast. This episode is a guest episode featuring Ellen D. Dia, who is the newest tactic nutrition coach. Ellen has been with us for a few months and has an interesting and inspiring background in fitness and nutrition. Today's episode, we are going to talk about Ellen's history in bodybuilding, how she got into nutrition, some of her personal struggles with food, and how she uses her experience to help her clients build better relationships with food. It's a great episode. We also talk about superpowers and hip-hop dancing, and it would not be an episode with me and Alex if we didn't also talk about cats. So let's get into it. Ellen, welcome to the show. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Where are you calling in from? Um, I'm currently in South Carolina, Greenville, South Carolina. Greenville. There's a Greenville, North Carolina, which of course you know. Since you've lived in, but what's which Greenville is better? This one in South Carolina. The Greenville in North Carolina has, they need a lot of work done in that town. Yep. That's the consensus. I'm from North Carolina, so I can talk about this. Well, cool. We're excited to have you on and just share a little bit about you with our listeners and let you share your story because we think it's a really neat and important story that people will be able to relate to. So why don't we start talking a little bit about you and where you come from, what your education background is, and how you got into the whole fitness nutrition space as a, you know, a coach and a participant. Yeah, cool. So I spent most of my life in New Jersey and I played sports my whole life. When I finally went to college, though, I was not playing any sports anymore. So all through high school, I was really hardcore into softball and volleyball. Thought I was actually going to play at the D1, hopefully, level. Ended up not doing that. I decided that it was too much work to be a full-time student athlete, as well as the classes and whatnot. So when I stopped playing the sports, and I went away for that year. I was basically doing nothing, put on a lot of weight, and then trying to kind of find my way out of that and become a little bit healthier. I found bodybuilding. That's when I also had a coach who started introducing me to, I guess, the education and knowledge side of all of that. And I became really interested in that. And that was still during my freshman year. So after that, I totally shifted gears. I was studying communications at that time, but I became so interested and passionate about the nutrition side of things that I switched my major. You'd be around like 19 years old, right? Yes, yeah, still 18 at the time. My okay. first competition, I was 18. Yeah. Wow. So this whole, this transition from kind of potential like collegiate D1 athlete into, okay, I'm not 
going to pursue athletics. I think what you went through is really common where you, you dial back activity and training, but food, like eating patterns don't necessarily change. So that is all happening when you're really young. Yeah. Not only the eating stuff, but the, you know, college culture, I guess the binge drinking Mm -hmm. didn't help with all of that either. So yeah. Yep. Um, I interrupted you. You were about to say you changed majors probably. Yeah. So I ended up after that was spring semester I guess it was kind of good timing. We were going into summer and that's when I was going to be competing. So I decided to actually come back to New Jersey for school and switch my major to nutrition at that time. I went nutrition with the concentration in public health at Montclair State. That's cool. Yeah, that public health is an interesting add-on. Were you originally thinking about working in that sector with nutrition? No, I wasn't really sure where I wanted to go as far as the different avenues in nutrition. At first, I was looking at dietetics, but I had already spent a little bit of time in some clinical settings and it was a really short period of time and I did not want to go clinical. So I, I honestly just kind of picked public health, you know, not a specific reason, but it ended up working out because now I work with Gen Pop. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely beneficial. Let's back up and talk a little bit about your experience with bodybuilding that first kind of time you did it. How do you think like being that young affected you long term? What was your general experience with that? Yeah, it's so crazy because at the time, looking back now, I felt like I knew everything I was doing was the absolute best direction for my life. And I guess looking back to it, it all happened for a reason. But yeah, I was so, so far down in a place that I didn't want to be and I didn't know how to get myself out. And at that time, I was looking at every way. I I had already dieted and done every possible thing. So I was looking for something new. I guess that was, yeah, 2015, 2016. Bikini girls were becoming quite popular on social media, YouTube. I would spend like all day in my dorm watching what I eat in a day bikini competitor type stuff. And I became so obsessed with it because they were, a lot of them were doing macros and I had never heard of macros. I didn't know what that was, but to see them getting to such insane levels of leanness while eating, like, I guess the quest bars and stuff were super Mm -hmm. popular, but also Halo Top ice cream, even M&Ms, like, I don't know, just anything they could possibly eat. I was like, how can I do that? I want to do that. That was that um, early, like, if it fits your macros kind of approach. Yeah. Yeah, early absolutely. Days. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to try to find someone who could help me with this. And I, I did get a coach. I, I will say I was pretty lucky with my coach. I've heard of really insane diets that really mess people up. He was more focused on the fuel side of things. But again, I was so young and all I cared about was getting lean. So we didn't focus on building muscle first. We went right into dieting for the show and I ended up doing well. But as the whole process was happening, I would start to see my body changing, obviously, in ways that I didn't know was possible. And then show day. I mean, you're up on that stage and full dark tan and completely depleted. But even now, I guess it's what, almost 10 years later, seven years later, I can't unsee that version of me on the stage. And I still compare myself to that version. Sometimes not, it's not as bad as it used to be, but I didn't know that it would set, I guess, the body image side up for such a whirlwind from there. 
yeah, we have a few people in our community who have a, a really similar experience with bodybuilding. And I think that's the part that no one really talks about is the body image side of it. And, you know, yeah, you're up on stage and the crazy and kind of twisted thing about that sport is that on the day that you like objectively look the best, you probably feel the worst. Like there's a disconnect with health and aesthetic, but the aesthetic is what's celebrated. And it's hard when you look back, you look at the pictures, a lot of people who are still very sort of stuck, like you have a lot more awareness, I think, than a, a lot of people do. I don't think a lot of folks remember the feeling, you know, the depletion, you're holding poses and like everything's cramping up because you're so depleted and dehydrated and you have no carbs. It's a really crazy thing that people do. And yeah. at the time, no one, I, I think now people are finally talking about how quote unquote unhealthy competing can be. But at that time, nobody talked about the aftermath of competing or the fact that, yeah, on that day, you are probably your unhealthiest version, especially as a female. We're not meant to be that level of lean. And then it's a whole different story, but you're on stage and all you're thinking about is what you're going to shove your face with after you get off, which again, that's normalized, but it's, it's definitely not a normal thing. Did you do more than one show or was it kind of like a one-time thing? Like how long were you in that scene for? So I, I did three total shows and I'm not going to lie. So I, I did well the first two shows. And then the third show I placed, I think, third and fifth in two of my classes. I was also finally starting to learn that there's a lot more than natural that goes into the competing side of things. And being 18, I didn't want to go the unnatural route. So that also kind of deterred me from continuing. I think that's really fair. And also like, again, very smart and self-aware on your part. Like, a lot of people don't make that decision. So that's crazy. I imagine that you have, it's probably hard not to have some regrets thinking back to that. Is there a silver lining for you? Yeah, I think the silver lining would be actually that I did learn about the whole macro thing. I learned not to fear certain foods or that you had to cut them out. I learned that food can truly transform your body and that it didn't have to be, you know, I say this now, like it didn't have to be one or the other, but even after I knew all of that stuff, I still struggled with that for so long. But the silver lining ultimately was that I learned a lot and it also sent me into pursuing my degree with yeah. nutrition. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's good. Reading your, like your background that you sent over, it sounds like even though we're a little bit older than you are, even though my mind, like I identify as your age, but I know that I'm older than you are. It sounds like our experiences growing up with female expression and women in the media was quite similar and how, you know, fitness and it's honestly, it's probably still happening now. I don't absorb a lot of that media anymore, but health and fitness and nutrition, at least for women, especially in the nineties and two thousands was portrayed as thinness on magazine yeah. covers, celebrities, things like that. So maybe you can talk a little bit about your upbringing and how that affected your mentality with fitness and nutrition and if it still has an impact on you now. Yeah. So like you said, early 2000s, that's most of what I remember in my like early childhood with all this stuff. A lot of the celebrities and women that I looked up to, I don't know if they were just famous for their looks or I mean, some of them were talented too, of course, but 
the overarching picture of beauty at that time and popularity, that was another thing, was just skinny. There was nothing else really to it. Not only in the media, but at school, the girls that would get the most attention, at least what I saw was, again, it was just very skinny, no waist. I'll be very honest, I, I guess I wasn't the most popular kid, but I wanted to be. I wanted attention. So if I saw that that was the way to get attention, that's what I thought I had to do as well. And, you know, I was an athlete. And of course, I know this now, but looking back, I was a little kid playing sports. And even kids playing sports need muscle. But here I am thinking that I need to weigh 80 pounds just to get more attention at school. That juxtaposition between you know, your performance as an athlete, which you probably did enjoy athletics. And then standing in the face of that and working against it is this desire to have a like, you know, skinny girl aesthetic, because that's the way that the popular girls look. Right. And the other thing too, that I ended up discovering later in, I guess, maybe early high school, what I saw and what I assumed about the girls that were just effortlessly smaller, it wasn't effortless. I would talk to them later on or find out from other people that they weren't really eating much. They were trying to do the diet thing too. So it's just crazy to look back and think, I thought it was this one way, but we were all kind of struggling. Yeah, I have a very similar memory of high school. And then, you know, even the the people who were, I wasn't popular either. Were you popular? <laughs> Not really. No, nobody was popular. <laughs> the, um, but look at us now. I know. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the, you know, some of the people who, who were at my high school. I chose, were, I didn't want to be popular. It was a you, personal choice. Oh, <laughs> I'm sure that it was. Me too. Some of the people who were in the popular group, but in larger bodies, I don't know if this was your experience as well. Like there had to be something else about, they, they were often like the funny one, you know, it's like in order to be accepted in a large body, you had to be exceptionally comedic. Did you notice that at all? Did, did you, Ellen? Yeah, I did. And I'm actually glad you brought that up because, and I'll let you finish, but I have kind of something on that note of yep. if you didn't have the body, then there was something else. That's actually something too that I've noticed even in my adult life is at such a young age, I focus so heavily on my worth being from what I looked like that I never was able to really have any other identities. So when I did end up gaining a bunch of weight and losing what I thought was my worth. I can't even describe the struggle that I went through over those periods of losing my body because that's all I ever thought mattered. Yeah, that's heavy and probably also, unfortunately, very common for people who do identify heavily with the way that they look. Like, the reality is, and it's hard to think about this when you're in your 20s and 30s, but there is an inevitability to a decline in aesthetic. Like eventually you are going to probably gain a little a bit of weight. Like you're going to deal with an increased skin laxity. Like you're going to have wrinkles. Things are going to start to sag. Like, I mean, even like the fittest, like older age categories in CrossFit, I'm like, they're so fit they're still old. Like they don't look like, you know, the third. And I'm like, even if I stay super fit, I'm still going to look like that. I better have something else to hold on to so that, you know, when it does go, it's kind of like the weight gain, but there's also like just aging, mm -hmm. which is weight gain. Some for some people or like just your body changes, your skin changes, all those things. Yeah. That's such a good point. And I know we're kind of talking about it from the view of my past, but I think it's even so 
maybe even more prevalent today with social media and just getting so caught up in this is how I look and that's how I get what my likes, my views, everything. So I think we're really struggling even currently. Maybe we've taken a step back. I don't know. But yeah, yeah, you both make a really good point. We get clients and we deal with people on the internet all the time who ask questions about like, well, how do I, you know, how do I reverse aging? How do I slow it down? Like there is so much emphasis on it, I think, because there's people do tie a lot of their identity into their like appearance, their physicality, the things that they're doing with their body. There is not always an acceptance of age related changes where like, I don't think that anyone needs to let themselves go Mm -hmm. necessarily when they're aging, but to age gracefully requires a certain acceptance that there are going to be things that change that are outside of your control. And it's when people fail to accept that and they don't let go that there can be a lot of sort of internal strife and struggle where it's like you can live a great, active, healthy life more so even if you let go of this one part of your identity. Like you're just you're not going to look like you're 30 forever. Like that's just it's not going to happen. Absolutely. Or feel that way. I mean, like I have older clients that are like, I just I don't know my energy. I just don't feel like I'm, you know, my energy is very consistent. And part of me is like, we were doing CrossFit in your 60. Like, what do you expect? I mean, like, the youngest of us can't bounce back after, like, multiple CrossFit workouts in a week. But that's um, a different Yeah, so let's talk about kind of staying on that note. I'm going to call it a turning point, even though, like, it's probably an ongoing process for you. And you've kind of alluded to that. You still have that image of yourself standing up on stage in a, you know, bikini contest. But what was the turning point for you as far as accepting a more well-balanced, you know, version of health, nutrition, fitness? I guess like the ultimate, don't know if I could pinpoint like one day in time, but it, it was just years and years of doing the same cycle. I just got fed up with it and nothing changes if nothing changes. And I, I felt like this restriction was always the answer, but inevitably it would be the extreme opposite with the binging or the overeating. I just got so sick of it. I can honestly remember, okay, maybe this is a little bit of the moment that led up to this pivot where it was one of my last binges. And I can remember after it, I was by myself in my kitchen on the floor, like screaming. And I know that might sound crazy, but just like crying and screaming. I I let myself have that moment but there was no way I was going to let myself have another moment like that. So it was like, I have to do something I've never done. What did you do at that point? I went back to macro tracking, but I started with a way higher amount of calories than I ever let myself, I guess, start with at that point. Another huge thing I did actually in that moment, I started this thing called the Smiley Face Habit Tracker, which I actually got the idea from Jordan Syed. He has a form of a habit tracker where my one and only goal was to get through a day without binge eating. Nothing else was written on that calendar. I would give myself a smiley face for the day if I was able to go the day binge free. And if not, I gave myself a frowny face, but I ended up picking up so much positive momentum. And it it was in a place that I could see it every single day, nice and big. And it was a game I started to play with myself. And Like I said, the positive momentum just kept coming when I would see smiley face after smiley face and I started feeling better and better and I was actually not starving this time and allowing things to just happen more slowly. Yeah. How long did you do that habit tracker? So that was just about two, maybe two and a half years ago was that last moment. And I still do it today. I still have the habit tracker. I've added a few things to it, but something that 
I don't know if I'll ever take off of it is binge free. And I don't sometimes for the month I have to write BF instead of the word binge because it might just be a time that I'm feeling maybe just a little more vulnerable. Mm -hmm. So I won't write the word binge because if I see it sometimes, but yeah, to answer your question, I still actually have it two years later. Yeah, <laughs> so. going on a thousand days. I love the thousand days. I thing. guess so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, on our way. And then hopefully beyond. That's really cool. This sounds self-guided. Was it totally self-guided or did you ever work with a coach or a mentor? No. Yeah, I guess I can't say I ever had a mentor or a coach. I did it by myself, but a constant YouTube, constant podcast, reading, research. And I, I had, you know, the education side at school as well, yeah. but mostly just internet and self-guided. No, and that's amazing. I mean, you can do it and that applies to other areas of nutrition too. Like all of the information is there if you're in the right mind to receive it and to take the right actions. That honestly makes your story even more admirable. While you can do it, it's very hard. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's amazing. And so I guess the next question would be, how did you, like, did that lead you into coaching and working with others? Or what was the transition into nutrition coaching and working professionally in the space? Yeah. So the first time I overcame, when I thought I overcame my disordered eating, I knew I, w I wanted to help people do the same. So that was 2020 after having some pretty intense months during the lockdowns and stuff. I channeled some of that into working with people because at that time, as we all know, a lot of people were struggling with the health side of things, nutrition, weight, all of that. And it started with just friends reaching out and people that like in my immediate community, I was coaching at F45 at the time. So people in there, they would see my results. They knew what I was doing. I was kind of posting about it. And when they would ask me, I was like, hey, this I could really do something with this. I know other people coach people on nutrition and lifestyle and behaviors. And why can't I? So that's when I started doing that. Yeah. I think you worked for another company for a little while. That was a remote company like us. Like, Do you find that, I guess, moving away from your close circle and working with strangers remotely over the internet, do you find that you can have the same impact? Does it make the job easier in some ways, harder in some ways? What's your experience been there? Yeah, it's, it's easier in some, harder in others. Through working with the previous company and as well as in person and just kind of figuring out different ways to do all of this, the more voice face-to-face -face that I can get with clients, typically more comes out of that. Um, there's more trust that's built, I think. I don't know. You're able to see that person. And I'm speaking from a client perspective too. It's mm -hmm. If there's just robotic way of getting responses, then it's obviously not the same as maybe picking up the phone or doing that video chat with someone. I don't know Even if that if answers that. It does. Yeah. And that's been our experience too. Even if it's someone who you communicate with, you know, 90% over text message, having a call and just making a face-to-face -face, like human connection can really mm -hmm. like strengthen that bond and relationship and make like the text message communication more effective. Yeah. And, and one thing too, that I do like about working with, I guess, strangers as opposed to people that I see all the time is I actually feel like I get better results with strangers because they're not concerned about 
my thoughts when we're out maybe, or when mm-hmm. I see them on a daily basis, there's maybe less pressure on a, on a daily basis to do a certain thing or act a certain way, even though I never want anyone to feel that way. I think it's just different to have that like, oh, I see Ellen every day. Like she gets it if I'm, this is just the way I am. Whereas a stranger, it's, I don't know. Yeah. And that's a good insight too. So is there a specific type of client that you prefer working with? Do you like, I mean, clearly you've mentioned you like helping people who have experienced disordered eating patterns, but you're not exclusively coaching those people. You probably, I mean, we know the types of clients that we receive and send to you and it's a mix, but I was wondering if there's a certain client you love working with, or if you're just kind of like, I like helping everyone with all different goals. Well, yeah, I I do like helping everybody, but I guess a favorite type of client is honestly just someone who comes with complete openness to change. Someone who's not stuck in their thought process, which is part of this. It is part of this. And that's why you're here for the help to begin with. But like I said before, nothing changes if nothing changes. So someone who can come to me with complete trust in the process, I don't care who it is, what age, what their struggles are, just place some trust in me as your coach. And I guess my favorite type. Yeah, just kind of an open, you know, sort of there's like an acceptance that they don't know everything and that they need help. I think that's like, and it probably goes the the same, like people who, who have the most success in any coaching relationship or even therapy are probably that type of person who remove the shame from needing to ask for help. I think that in the, you know, the, the self-help nutrition, fitness therapy space, there's a lot of shame in saying like, yeah, I can't really like figure my shit out by myself. I need to hire someone. There's no shame in that. It's our bucking Bronco metaphor. Yes. Like the person who comes and their client is the horse and they're like, I'm ready to be ridden. (laughs) <laughs> like climb on me and take me to where I need to go. Like I teach me your ways. It's so easy. And you just ride off into the sunset together. And then you get the clients yeah. that are like full on bucking Broncos. And they're like, you have to prove your worth. Like get on me and try to ride me. And the whole time they're just trying to buck you off. And you're just like, okay, how is this going to work? Right. Basically they end, I up get. Riding, <laughs> they end up riding somewhere, but it's not into the sunset. Or maybe it yeah. is. Maybe they find somebody who can ride them, but they it's certainly bucking. not with us. Yeah, no. And I totally get that too. I get being stubborn and the coach needs to prove themselves. I do get that to some extent, but you're not going to get anywhere if you're not nicely getting up onto the bucket or the <laughs> horse and riding away. Let me ride you. <laughs> yeah. And That's I think, I guess part of that is like, you know, as a coach, you're not getting on there and just like, I'm not a horse rider. So I'll probably say everything wrong here, but you're not like pulling on the reins and like tightening the straps too tight and making them like go running or do certain tricks. It's like, all right, we're going to just start out walking together and then we can build up to a trot and all those things. And, you know, you treat the horse nicely and you brush it and all those things to build the trust, but it takes two. So I definitely get that. Like any client that comes like with a certain amount of openness are definitely the clients that not only are the funnest to work with, but or the most fun to work with, but tend to have the most success. Yeah. And to the point of like, just starting with walking, I think that's another reason why a lot of people, it's hard for them to place trust or think that this could work when really we do just start with the most basic things because going zero to a hundred is maybe what they were used to in the past, but 
clearly that hasn't worked. And now this is something so, so different for them that I do get it. It's hard to see that this could be the thing that changes. Is that what you think? Like um, Ellen's not a jockey and you're not going to be entering the (laughs) Kentucky Derby next week. So just like (laughs) slow down there. Yeah. Slow down, Seabiscuit. Cool it. Do you think that's what most people struggle with like the most coming into a coaching is like the pace at which certain changes are made or like, I guess, oftentimes not made. Like I get that question a lot. Like, Hey, what's next? And you're like, nothing, just more (laughs) of the same. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Actually a lot of the feedback, like you were just saying that I get sometimes is, you know, I thought this would be harder or I've heard from people that weight loss or muscle building is so much harder. Is this it? Like, this is it. And I'm like, yep, this is it. And they're like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, that is hard. Because I think for so long, people have just thought that it needs to be such an insane, you know, every single day is a grind that when it is that starting with less, yeah, they feel like there might be a hole in the system or something. Yeah. I think there's that, like, people think that big changes require big changes. And it's like, no, like big changes are the result of consistency with small changes. The difference maker there is time. I think the hard thing isn't doing it one day. It's continuing to do the small things that seem like they might not work because they take a long time to continue to do that for a long period of time. Like, I think that's part of the reason why we have clients who last for like a year or two years, because it's not that they don't know what to do, but it's like they need someone to help them Mm -hmm. stay committed to it because like, It is easy-ish. It's easy, but it's not. Yeah. And it's just like, I mean, it's like you're, you know, two and a half year. We're going on a thousand days, you know, no like BF days. Like arguably that's a small thing. Like it is a small thing. You know, it probably takes some mental tenacity and especially early on, but it's those, it's like, it's not the, you know, the big change or the big step that really makes the difference. It's those small steps. It's the repetition that starts to change the way that you like embody your beliefs and the way that you see yourself. And I know like we talk about this all the time and that's what matters because at the end of the day, you're going to get to a thousand days or 2000 days with that calendar. And like, I'm going to say all of a sudden, but it's not going to be all of a sudden. It's like the opposite of all of a sudden, you're a person who doesn't binge. That happened because of a small thing that you did for four years but how do you get someone to accept that when all they see is like lose 30 pounds in 30 days on magazine covers? Like that's the pace at which people are conditioned to expect results. Right. And so. I mean, this is my whole story is I used to, if I was going to use that calendar 10 years ago, there would have been 15 things that I needed to do from the get go. Mm-hmm. And that would have kept me in that same spiral and where instead I took it back to literally that one thing. And then I would add, after six months, I did add, I think, two liters of water. And then during other seasons, it's hit my macros. You know, other seasons, there's an activity goal on there. So yeah, it, like you said, it's I would still be in that same exact place had I not just broken it down and taken a, a lot of steps back. It's like coming full circle. This is the part of the podcast yeah where things come around. I knew it was, I knew it was coming. Did you know it was coming? Here we are. Happens every time. So I guess I'll just ask this question. I feel like I know what the answer is going to be, but if you could tell clients one thing 
or just people, people, because you're big on like you use your social media in a really great way. If you could tell followers or clients or just people who are interested in nutrition, one thing, be guaranteed that they're going to listen to that one thing and do what you say. What would that one thing be? Start small, start smaller than you think you should. I knew knew that was going to (laughs) I debated that and remove your timeline, but I feel like they can kind of go hand in hand. Yeah. I think being okay with starting small, there's like a implication that you'd have to remove the timeline a little bit. Be patient. Mm -hmm. That's mine is be patient. Just be patient. So on that note, what about tactic aligns with your ethos around nutrition, fitness, all of that? Like what, cause I, I received your email asking if we were hiring. By the way, we get a lot of those emails. Yeah. Oh, really? Hold up. I like this one. Tell us. Yeah. So tell us what, what about us are probably your Instagram kind of led you to be like, Oh, I think I could be a good fit for them. You guys have the most, I, sometimes I hate the phrase down to earth, but your beliefs, what tactic is based on is we work with the individual. We're not a one size fits all. We're not going to just take your money and get you quick results so that in three months you would probably need our help or someone else's help again. It's so individualized and it's focused on building that relationship with the person. And from that relationship, you're able to work on whatever goals that client has. There is so much to nutrition. Well, I guess actually there's really not that much to nutrition, but there's these so much days, to people. Yes. And these days with social media and everything, there's it's the most confusing space in in the entire world. And I'm again I'm not just saying this because I work for y'all, but if your page was the only page that existed, I feel like no one would need help with nutrition. I'm really gassing you guys up right now, but everything. Why do you think we asked this question? (laughs) It's just, it's what nutrition and fitness and health should be. It's such a positive space. After meeting all the coaches, I mean, everyone's incredible. Everyone cares so much for the individual that it's, it's, it's not about the money. I don't know. There's just so much. Yeah. We're really, really, really picky about who works for us, which I guess is to gas you up too, because that's like when your application came through and then just doing some research on you on your Instagram, I was like, hold up. This is not just someone who's applied. Like this is someone who we feel strongly about having on our team because it's just such a seamless alignment with core values and beliefs and messaging. So yeah. And then we, we had our, our call with you and this won't come as a surprise to the listener based on what they've just heard, if they've made it to this point, but you're very open and vulnerable. And I think we look for that in our coaches, because if you can't be open and vulnerable and make a relationship with whoever you're on a call with, whether it's me or Meredith or Lindsay or whoever, like you're not going to be able to make meaningful relationships with clients. So that was like a big one. Like setting macros is pretty easy. There's not a lot of people where we're really stuck on like what the macros need to be. For most people, it's, it's, it's not that difficult and we can tinker. It's about building that trust and that relationship. And you're clearly, I mean, you've had a lot of success so far with your clients, a lot of great feedback. And so it was a good, a good match. So thanks for your kind words. Well, thank you guys. 
Yeah. I think I miss, I think I said work for us and I try to never ever say that it's work with us. That's like, we're a team. And so anyways, if I said that, I didn't mean to, I read this a long time ago and I, it's kind of what drives a lot of our messaging, or I guess it just sort of fits. Like, you know, if you're getting nutrition from a good source versus a bad source, like if you're getting it from a bad source, you're going to feel self-conscious, increased fear and anxiety around food. And you're going to feel like you have to buy the, the one thing that that person is probably trying to sell you as a solution to this problem that they created for you. Versus like getting nutrition information from a good source is going to make you feel empowered, encouraged, probably good about yourself. And like you can take that information and apply it to your life or choose who you want to work with. Like, yeah, you can work with that person or that company if they offer a service, but you can also just take what they're telling you and try to apply it to yourself because that's how basic the information is. So we try to be the latter. I think we are. A word I would use to describe you both and the content you put out is just, it's comforting. And like you were kind of going, you were talking about before it's people are coming not out of fear, but it's because they feel comfortable and can obviously relate to the messages and, and just what tactic believes in overall. That's the goal. So the next question is who do you like more me or Meredith? (laughs) What's your cat's name? Ivy, and that is the right Ivy, answer. yeah. <laughs> we like Ivy the most. We like Ivy the most, too. No yeah. one ever answers that one. No, we'll get someone one day. Someone will say it. Um, yeah, do you have any pets? I have one cat. His name is Binks. He's, a, he's an old tuxedo cat. I love that. Binks. What's Binks doing right now? He is probably sunbathing on the bed. Yeah, we like Binks. Sounds really nice. I guess we'll kind of wrap up with some fun questions. What's a, do you have any like talents, superpowers? What's something you're real, you're real good at? So I thought long and hard, honestly, about the superpower thing. And unfortunately I could not come up with a superpower, but I do think that I'm talented at drawing like traditional artwork. And by traditional, I mean like tattoos, like traditional tattoos, not fancy traditional masterpieces, but Easy outlines. Yeah. (laughs) If you could have a superpower, what would that be? Maybe read minds. Uh, That would make the job easier. (laughs) Way easier. Or I I don't know, maybe it would make it harder, actually. Yeah, actually. What would yours be, Alex? Superpower. To never get sick. (laughs) No, I'm just saying that today because I feel sick. Let's see here. A superpower. Well, it would be nice sometimes when I'm like lip syncing and then sometimes the music turns off and I hear myself, I wish that I was a good singer. But I also, I think I wish I could be a good dancer. Like really anything musical would be nice because I'm just not at all. So it's not a super, I'm talking like X-Men. Uh, superpower. Come uh, on now. I don't think I could read minds. Like I have, my ego is too like vulnerable <laughs> for that. Unless of course, just everyone always thinks great things about me. I'm sure that they do. <laughs> That's probably it. But probably like time travel. Not time travel. Like when you can transport yourself from one place to another without having to fly on a plane. That's called, well, it depends. It's teleportation. What teleportation. Teleportation. Yeah. Or like if you're in <laughs> Harry Potter, you, it's called apparition. Apparition or mm-hmm. teleportation. That yeah. would be my superpower. Sorry, I'm, I'm trying to hijack the podcast. <laughs> no, it's all right. <laughs> Mine would be telekinesis. Thank you for asking. What's that? You can move things <laughs> okay. with your mind, including yourself. So like in theory, I could also teleport by moving myself from one place to another. Okay. Yeah. Let's see. What's the other fun question? Um, On a side note with mm-hmm. the dancing thing, 
this could be another question, but something I wish I was good at is I agree, Alex, dancing, hip hop dancing. I feel like nobody knows this about me, not even my boyfriend. <laughs> like I I watch hip hop video videos on YouTube ask all you the that. time. <laughs> and I not like the TikTok like dancing, but like the Matt Stefanina type stuff. Like yeah. I wish I could do that. I also watch a lot. I'll just get stuck on like hip hop dancing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It'll just like scroll. Even scroll, just the scroll. 15 second ones of them like pop in and I'm don't even, I hope <laughs> this no rhythm. Doing stuff and no I'm just rhythm. like, wow. And then I'll say like, Meredith, we should do one of these videos. And she's like, mm, okay, yeah, sure. Uh-huh. That's not going to happen. Yeah. That's a good one though. The like hip hop dancing specifically. I'm like, wow. Mm-hmm. There's like a certain amount of athleticism. It looks really fun. It looks fun yes. to be able to like, Move your body to the beat and not yeah. be mortified someone <laughs> seeing it. Okay, I have to tell you, I like, this is a rabbit hole, but damn it, we're going. I've been following, this is like, there are certain things that just make me feel really old. And I started following this hip hop trio. It was like three girls. I don't think their daughter, like their sisters, maybe their friend, maybe a couple of them are, but they, they had an Instagram page and I started following them when they were like really little. And it was like amazing that these, you know, these little girls were doing the hip hop dancing that they are doing. And then I saw a video of them the other day. It just like came up. They were in my feed all of a sudden and they're like teenagers. I was like, <laughs> yeah, you realize they were born in yeah. 2010. Uh, I'm just not ready for that type of thing. But yeah, it's pretty, pretty cool. All right. So if people wanted to find you, follow you, what's your main social media platform and handle? Where can they do that? Yeah, I'm on Instagram at Ellen Grace Fit. Awesome. That's easy. It's been great having you on. This is something that we've wanted to do for a little while, basically, like since we first had a phone call with you where we thought we might hire you. So thank you for taking the time and sharing your story. It's not an easy thing for a lot of people to talk about. And I know it's a really important thing to talk about and not something that we have personal experience with. So thank you for for being the voice of many people out there who've been in your situation and yeah. And and telling your story, it means a lot. I really appreciate y'all having me on and being able to share that. Like I said, I'm, I'm an open book and the more I talk openly about it, the more hopefully people can relate and reach out for help. And it, like I said before too, it's been an absolute pleasure working with you guys so far and yeah, I can't wait to see where everything goes. Amazing. 